I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know, but have you seen Mr Yum Splitting Pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. Really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr Yum Splitting Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum's Split and Pay is the better way to pay, and it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com. Principle of Hospitality podcast, and thank you so much for joining me on my first ever episode. My name is Kayleen, and I'm excited to share my first guest with you. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We are a straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. He really needs no introduction. His name is synonymous with amazing venues in Melbourne, such as Coda, Tonka, Boca, and W Hotels Lolo and Culprit Cafe. He's won the Age Young Chef of the Year Award in 2008 and is a regular guest on MasterChef Australia. Well, he's also my boss. <laughs> Hello, Adam De Silva. Boss man, yes. Boss well, man. <laughs> well, saying this is your first ever podcast. It could be your, could be your last after my... <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope not. But thank you so much for joining me here today. No worries. I, um, think, I, th- I think I had no choice, didn't I? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you did it because you love me, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's start from the beginning. Tell me how your journey as a chef started. My journey as a chef started. I don't know if you can remember back that far. No, but I know. Try. I know because <laughs> well, because well, I think officially I've been. What's, what, what are we now? Year twenty twenty two. I started my apprenticeship in nineteen ninety six. So how many years does that make it? Twenty seven years, twenty six years cooking professionally. Um, so I've been cooking for now longer, longer than half my life. Wow! If that makes well, I'll put that into into that kind of terms. Of like how long you've been doing something for longer than half your life, you kind of realise that you're starting to get old, older. So no, I think cooking's always been part of, um, been obviously been part of my upbringing, being half Italian, half Indian, being being born around food, born into food. And it's actually someone asked me about it today. So not the second, the second for some reason, someone was asked me asked asked me about food or how did I grow up grow up into it. I don't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> one, another one, another random phone call that I have that I just don't remember. Um, Too many interviews. <laughs> no, I just, no, no, it was just, who was it? Oh, I can't even remember what it was. Anyway, come back to me. Just being that, you know, being brought into those rich cultures and being having food around because of being in the business. My dad was a butcher and the family always been eating food, food and wine. So it was always around. So it wasn't until I started working not professionally, but started working when I was in school, being kitchen hand, doing kitchen hand jobs. Wow. And making pizza. That was my first real kind of food job, making pizza when I was in year 12, in a little little pizza shop in Templestowe called La Mezza, not their pizza. So I was 17, 
used to work there three nights a week, um, you know, answer the phones when people people used to ring up and order pizza, not just order via an app or via your phone. And um, <laughs> used to take the order and top the pizzas. And my, my boss, who was like a 66-year-old Sicilian man, who used to always yell, at, yell and swear at his wife and always have an argument. And then he would send me up the road to collect his um, TAB earnings. And it was all kind of happening. And that's when my love of pizza, that's when my love of the Hawaiian pizza and also the Aussie pizza, I actually fell in love with the Aussie pizza. And you're wondering what an Aussie pizza is. What is an Aussie pizza? It's cheap shredded ham with an egg cracked on top of it. <laughs> and I was like, nah, I'm not going to eat that. I can't eat that. That's also got cheese on it. I was like, so you're that. okay with pineapple on pizza. This is the big controversy. I am okay with pineapple on pizza. <laughs> especially, so when, especially, man especially, especially when my pineapple comes from India. We're definitely having pineapple. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> so tell us a bit about that. We know that you've just come back from a trip from India. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that trip. Um, well, it was a wedding, but um, it was just great exploring India again. Been haven't been to, haven't been to India for about five years. But having said that, I actually was in Italy also for about three weeks. So I've kind of done both my cultures within a couple of months, which has been kind of great to kind of get out of Australia and travel and experience um, people and cultures and food again, which is a bit fantastic. It's been fantastic because you forget how much you kind of miss it or. You know, you realise that there's another world out there besides just being stuck in Melbourne yeah. or Australia. So it's been fan, been 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 awesome because they've been kind of leisure trips anyway. But you know, as a chef, they're never really just leisurely. They're always kind of researching, or you've always got your your mouth and your ears and your eyes open for different things, um, which I love. You know, just to love to absorb all different. You know, I'm always curious. I just want to eat. I just eat all the time. Much, <laughs> I think, like any chef, it's always like once you're having breakfast, you're like, what are we going to have for lunch? And me having lunch, you're like, what's for dinner? Kind of thing. So um, that's been amazing just to go to I mean, extreme, extreme cultures again. And just to see how, like, I guess it's also to see how each country has changed after COVID. Yeah. So I found in India there wasn't many homeless people on the street. Oh, wow. Having said that, it was, it was 45 degrees in, in Delhi. So maybe that had to something to do with it. But there, um, and also how, I guess, people deal with COVID. It's probably in the north of Italy. Wearing masks was very mandatory still, and you, if you walked into a shop or anywhere, they would get quite upset at you if you didn't, if you had it below your nose. So it was kind of weird going back into that kind of culture or just into that space of masks. And so yeah, so um, look, oh yeah, I love, and I can't wait to go. I can't wait to travel again. You know, even just going. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things I missed was traveling because the last trip I did was to New York when the pandemic hit two years ago, and I think. Um, it was the last time I saw it in its natural beauty, New York City as a city. And, um, yeah, I think that's – yeah, travel is one of the things I missed, so I'm getting back into it. So how do you think the pandemic has affected the hospitality industry? I mean, obviously, you've been to Italy, you've been to India, and, like, you've shared with us, like, how that pandemic has actually, like, changed, you know, the environment that – you know, those countries and things. How do you think that the hospitality industry in Australia has changed since the pandemic? Um, oh, well, drastically. But we, I mean, it seems like, it seems like we've gotten back to, as you know, we've kind of back, gone back to normal, but we just don't, don't have, I guess, the same, well, especially, correct me if I'm wrong, but we say front of house staff or workers, they don't, the people that, you know, it wasn't their passion, so they've gone and done a second career where it's a bit more reliable, I found, you know. Yeah. Um, waiter, wait, being a waiter was just to kind of pay the bills kind of thing and an easy thing to do. And we don't have as many, I mean, obviously, international travellers or tourist workers, international tourist workers, which hopefully we can get back. But I think everyone's a bit scared at the moment to come to Melbourne. 
scared, yeah. of, scared of getting locked down. Or Australia. <laughs> in that fact. Just Melbourne. But I think, but in <laughs> those other countries like Italy and India, there's no, there's no staffing issues there. I mean, because obviously the population and just, I think it's a, just a different, it's a different demographic where kind of, it's much more class segregated, I reckon. So you kind of like, if you work that area, then you're kind of going to work that area for the rest of your life. Where here, you kind of, you can work it, but do other things at the same time. Yeah. So, yes, it's changed, changed different, but I think everyone's, look, everyone's going out now again. Everyone's kind of like, you know, hugging and kissing each other. You know, customers are rude again <laughs> and unappreciative <laughs> of everything, you know. When we first locked down, oh, my God, I appreciate you so much. Oh, it's so good that you opened. Oh, my God, I love you. And then after a while, they're like, nah, you're not. Nah, because rude, 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 rude and arrogant again. <laughs> not, not, talking, not speaking for the majority, but I'm just saying, just, uh, yeah. Anyway. So, like, the other thing I've always been curious, like, you know, there's a lot of chefs out there who have always dreamed of owning their own business. And obviously, you've done a really great job and been successful at that. You know, moving from working, you know, for really great restaurants in Melbourne to now being a business owner. So can you share with all of us the progression of, you know, from becoming a chef to a business owner? Why wh does it make it different? Like, I'm sure everybody wants to know. I think that it's the ultimate dream. Well, it is. Well, it is the ultimate dream, but it doesn't necessarily. Well, it can end in tears as well. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that go and do any business. It's, there's a percentage of uh, that's going to fail, um, and especially they say with hospitality. What's it, isn't there some fact? Like, there's some percentage about. Is it 80 percent? Is it eighty percent or something yeah. of um, hospitality venues fail within the first year? Yeah. Of what do you say? First or two you, years. First three years. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. It's pretty much how do you, I don't know, you can go on forever about it. But I think the most important thing is um, having the right concept. And if you're also ready, I think sometimes people do it prematurely because they just want to have, um, they just want to do it where I was quite patient. I just waited for the right opportunities or the right things to come along, and, and they, which they did. Um, so, and I was kind of like, I've been cooking for 13 years. Yeah. So when you think about it, a lot of chefs want to do it, you know. Everyone wants to be Jamie Oliver or whatever straight away. That was he was well. He was he was that's how that, that's going to show you how long Jamie Oliver's been going for. He kind of hit the TV screens when I was starting my apprenticeship, wow. kind of thing. So everyone wants tries to do, wants to be famous, which fair enough. Everyone wants to have their name, have you know, their name in the paper and stuff like that. But I think it's important to get a grounding of what you want to do. Travel the world, which I did. I travelled the world extensively cooking. I've been I've been very fortunate to do that. You know, lived in Italy, lived in Hong Kong, lived in New York. I've done, you know, and I've, but also travelled all throughout cooking. And and it's and that's a totally different um, thing when you actually live and work in a country, especially in in a kitchen. Um, and, it's, and it's an international language, which is why you can just pretty much travel the world and work any, anywhere. You can walk into any kitchen and you know, cracking an egg, cracking an egg, or you know. <laughs> Like it's all, you know, you kind of, you don't have to speak the language. So just having the right grounding, I guess, grounding, I think just confidence and concept and skill. Like I think if you work out your concept, like I think what I think a lot of chefs get caught up in and look, the awards are fantastic, which are great, you know, but I think what a lot of the chefs want to um, aim, a lot of chefs aim for, they want to be the top 100 or the top 50 in the world. I never really wanted to be that. I just want to be someone who cooks good food you know, has a good, you know, good businesses and enjoys it. And I pitch, kind of pitch myself at that one hat level. And that's where I want to be. I don't want to be anything less and I don't want to think, I don't want to be anything more. I just want to be within that bracket. And I kind of like, like my food that I do and it's honest, it's tasty and it's something that people want to eat every day. That was my, that's always my kind of thing. 
with the, with the food, the dishes. It's like, did we, does that person want to come in and eat that every day or once a month or once a week or whatever like that? So I think sometimes, you know, getting caught up in that whole, you know, hoo-ha can be a bit distracting and yeah. doing it for the wrong reasons. And that's yeah. why I think sometimes businesses do fail because they're trying to aim for something that's probably unattainable, which is nothing wrong with having those dreams, but I think it's kind of just be a bit, a bit more of a realist, I think. And I just kind of like just... The thing that I like to do is like I like to cook food that I like to go out, out and eat. So, you know, I do love the fancy restaurants. I appreciate them all. And I do love the cheap and cheerfuls, you know. So <laughs> a bit of everything. It's also, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all to have your own business. I think if you have worked with a good group of people, you've got great bosses and stuff like that or just great group of people that you work for, great company that you work for, can be just as rewarding, you know. And I think just lots of things happen as long, along the line. I think, you know, you, everyone tries to, as a chef, you go and go, oh, you know, you got to make it in your 20s or you've got to make it in your 30s. But you look at other chefs, for example, like even Neil Perry, he opened up his, his final, he, he opened up a restaurant that finally was his, his outright at 62 or 63. So you can keep on, I think you keep on, you got to keep it, just keep, keeps on evolving or things happen, you know, like it's like I opened a gelati shop a year ago. Who would have who thought <laughs> 25 <laughs> years ago I would have opened a gelati shop? You know, and I might open, I might open a pizza shop. You know, my, that's one thing on my that's one thing on my uh, kind of dream dream list, which or bucket list, which is kind of probably silly, but not. But so I feel like I feel like going back to my you know the first thing that my first thing. Um, having said that, also because it's a high margin food and you can make lots of money out of it. <laughs> so as you get older as a chef, you start to monetize things as well. Because I mean, you got kids and mortgages and some sort of you know you're getting older and you can kind of like you know I, f- I find sometimes hospitality can be a it's a young person's game yeah, just because of the physical demands on it. And when you've got a family and stuff, you don't want to be working, you know, every night of the week. You want to be home enjoying your kids because in the blink of an eye, your kids are grown up and, you know, they don't, they don't want to know you anymore. So I think there's a, it's been, it's kind of been, been involving for me being, being a, you know, having kids, having, you know, three kids, having a family, having businesses and trying to juggle it all and trying to be, you know, everything and everywhere and stuff like that. So... Just a little bit of a break in the middle of this podcast, just to remind you about Sasha's business, Principal Design. It's one of the best designs agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, graphic design, you can find them at principaldesign.com.au. They're doing amazing work for people in the hospitality industry or anything around branding. Like they are absolutely exceptional. Everything that's produced for Poe is done by Principal Design. So well done, team. And myself, I've got a business called Open Pantry Consulting. So we do anything regarding with tech stacks or systems and processes, even into recruitment as well to make your business run even more smoothly in these hospitality ventures. You can find me at openpantryconsulting.com. Now let's go back into the show. Yeah, it's, I love it, but, um, you know, but that's, sort of, that's what it is. So looking at your long and lustrous career and your life, do you think you would go back and do anything differently? No, I think no, not at all. I think I'm re- really enjoying what, where, where I'm at now um, because I think also any negative, any neg- anything negative that's happened in my career, whether it's from, you know, when, my, when I was an apprentice at the Hilton on the Park where I started my apprenticeship, um... And he, this is the reason, this was a pivotal moment why I left hotels because after my third year apprentice, apprenticeship, you know, one, one you know, apprentice of the year, 
all these things, you know, did all these competitions, awards. Anyway, I went to my executive chef, left the Hilton to go work at the Carlton Crest. And I wanted to go to the executive sous chef because we got along better and just thought, you know, I wanted to go to the Sheridan on Sheridan, not Sheridan, Sheridan, but it wasn't Sheridan, just Sheridan, um, which is now the Langham. Um, my executive chef gave me a bad reference, so I didn't get the job at the Sheridan. And so I was like, how did that, how can I, what, how am I not getting this job? Like, and I was like, that's a, that's a bit of a, you know, bit of a prick of an effort. So I was like, you know what, <laughs> see you later, hotels. I'm going to go work in restaurants where you work for people who are owners of the restaurant. They got more control of it. And then I kind of loved restaurants because I loved that freedom you kind of had with it. But I still, having said that, I still come back now to the, to back to the hotels. But oh, that was, that was a pivotal moment that kind of gave me a taste to make, or kind of forced me to go into restaurants. Yeah. So I was a bit bitter from hotels. I was like, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to be treated like that. I'm not going to hang around hotels, give, um, give restaurants another go. And then, you know, had great bosses working, you know, I've had, you know, my, my, my jobs have been quite long. I haven't moved around a lot. You know, I worked when my last boss before we opened Coda was I worked for him for seven years on and off, Jeff Lindsay, and worked for Martin Boats, and then I worked in another restaurant called Cosy. So I really had had really kind of three or four, and I worked in another restaurant as well called Bistro One, which was a French restaurant. So I only really worked in four or five restaurants before I opened my own restaurant. What made me kind of think about you know next time I next time I do a re- open a restaurant would be my own was when I worked when I opened Long Grain Melbourne back in two thousand and five for Marty Boats. I went and lived in Sydney for six months to learn how to do, learn, learn all the food and stuff. And it almost, you know, it was like the longest year of my life because you just worked, I worked six days a week, lunch and dinner, you know, making sure that the restaurant opened, you know, properly and stuff like that. And I was like, this is so hard. I'm like, I'm never, I'm not, next time I do it, I'm going to do it for myself. Yeah. And so then I, then I did. And then Coda was born in 2009. Look, and I think if you get the right people together, you know, you know, you know your concept and you know what you've got and, you, and you've got confidence in that you can cook. And I kind of have confidence in that, you know what, I know how to cook, I know how to make curry, I know how to do this, I know how to do that. So, but the, the thing about restaurants is it's, it's an, there's an X factor. And I always talk about this a lot, talk about this a lot to a lot of people because I go, hey, let's do a restaurant together. And I'm like, I'm like sure, whatever. <laughs> you know, sure, well, sure, no worries. But, you know, because you can have the best chef, you have the best fit out, you can have amazing branding, you can have a great location. But if there's this X factor that you cannot buy, it just happens. It has all these things have got to work and gel together for it to for it to be successful, you know. And you've seen it. I mean, you know, see it with other chefs, they're quite successful chefs that had quite a few um, restaurants that didn't work. You know, Kylie Kwong, you know, the chef Rockpool didn't last long. Or Neil Perry's had a few failures. So there's lots of chefs that had failures, but also then successes. You know, Luke Mangan also with stuff you know, we've seen him just writing stuff recently about it you know some of the some of the failures and the um and you know he's obviously had successes so yeah that's one of those things doesn't matter what you do sometimes it just doesn't might not work there's always a gamble and that's a big that's a, that's a big gamble you know yeah so you've got so much on your plate you're like everywhere all the time you know Eddie, you're, Eddie, you're Eddie, bouncing Eddie, all over the place Eddie everywhere almost like Eddie Maguire <laughs> <laughs> you're omnipresent like god <laughs> Um, what else do you like to do aside from cooking and running your businesses and being the superstar chef oh, that you are? Superstar, whatever. Please don't say golf. We all know. Why? I know. No, well, you, well, you know. That's what I'm going to say. You know. Our lovely listeners, listeners don't. I think anyone who knows you knows that you love golf. Well, that's why I stopped putting on my social media. You know, like, because all you do is play golf. I'm going no. But that is um, that's very social. It's a very social. Plus, um, a, play, a thing that I like to do to kind of unwind and, you know, 
have a, have a little break and think about other things, you know, or just hang out, hang out with mates. Because one of those things that once a week you can catch up with mates who are busy also in the corporate world that you spend like four or five hours together and chew the fat and have a, have a game of golf and it's, yeah, very fancy, you know, very fancy old man kind of stuff. But I've been doing <laughs> it for quite a while. But that's, 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 that's my outlet. How did you get into golf, actually? I played as a kid. So oh. it's through my dad and so through my dad and uncles, I used to play golf. So we used to get just tagged along and that's how. And then just took it up again, took it up again, I don't know, 20 odd years ago. Started playing again. So, so would you say it's important for people in the hospitality industry to have another kind of something else that they like to do aside from cooking? Yeah, correct. 100%. You got to have an, you got to have an outlet where you don't think about cooking when you get out of the kitchen. You know, my son, you know go, going out for dinner is not a hobby. I think that's just. <laughs> So many people say that. I know. What do you do? What's your hobby? <laughs> I, like oh, I like to go. I like going, I like going to movies. <laughs> I like to eat. It's like, sure. But um, no, a hobby where you actually just, you know, don't think about um, what you're doing and just have a little break. Because I think you really I think you really need that. And I think growing up as a chef, you were told you needed to work X amount of hours and days. And 100% you need to, you need to work a, a lot to, to, like, absorb and learn your craft. But also you need... Once you, once you work over too many hours, you become unproductive and you're not going to absorb anything and you just become tireless. That whole mentality, that old English mentality where, you know, because I almost had, I had the chance to go work in London on the way back from Italy and I was like, you know what, I'm thinking I'm just going to go back to Australia. <laughs> so this whole, that whole mentality doesn't, doesn't, really suit, doesn't really appeal to me. But um, you, need to, you need to have those breaks. That's why I kind of like, um, would ask chefs, like, what, what do you do outside? You know, what's, what's, your, what's your go-to thing? You know, whether it's like, you know, uh, dogs and plants and ha stuff ha. like that. Ha ha, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> you have a dog too now. Yes. You know yes, how I much do. they're, <laughs> how amazing they are. But we're not talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> and plants don't talk back either. Um, <laughs> they anyway. don't. They just die on you. <laughs> just die on you. <laughs> and a personal joke. If you, if you, if you, if you ever go to uh, Kayleen's Instagram account, you'll see why. <laughs> <laughs> They're very cute. She used okay. to post about food, but now she doesn't post about food anymore. It's all about dogs and plants. It's because someone gave me a piece of advice when I started, when I was on my Instagram. Someone said to me, um, make sure that your professional account is only a professional account and don't flood it with pictures of dogs. Oh, that must have been me. Oh, he was <laughs> like, you should start another page for your dog instead of flooding. And I think... Honestly, Adam, I think it's because Lauren didn't let you get a dog back then. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't want to be. No, no, yeah, correct. No, because yeah, right. Yep. How is oh. Ol- how is Ollie? I've got to start. I've got to start his Instagram account. He has reminded me. There you go. I've got to start his Instagram account because he's a very cute dog. He is a very cute dog. He's a little part of the family. He's, our, he's my four, we call her fourth child. Our fourth child. Our fourth fur baby. Fur baby. Yeah, correct. Um, no, he's fantastic. He's good. He's cute. Little cavoodle. Couldn't recommend him. Recommend him anymore. Highly recommended the dog. <laughs> Dogs are definitely a great outlet for um, de-stressing and just kind yeah. of yeah forces forces you outside, take a walk. Yeah, you know? but not everyone can have a dog, so you know it's true. So, what is your advice to anyone like, especially now, post pandemic, people who want to join the hospitality industry? Post-pandemic or even pre-pandemic, it's the same thing. You got to really love what you do. You know, there's there's a difference, and I say that's why I say to, you know, they got you'll get people, young people coming up. Oh, their mums or their parents come up, and oh, you know, my son really wants to, or my daughter really wants to work in hospitality, or I really want to. Okay, if you love doing it for a dinner party, unreal. But if you really want to do it professionally, come and spend time in different kitchens. Also, just not one kitchen. So come to Kota, come to Tonka, 
go to my mate's joints, we'll do Italian, just go to all different things, see how you fit. Because also don't don't rely that one impression that you get from one kitchen that's going to dictate your career path or your career choice. Because you can work with a great team or you can work with a horrible team. And everyone, and as I say to, I say to chefs as well, just because you don't fit into that kitchen doesn't mean you can't cook or you're going to go go places. Like, for example, I would never be able to fit into the Attica or Vudamon kitchen because that's just not my style. Um, so it just depends. Finding the right kitchen, finding the right team, and really love to do it. And also kind of have a plan to do it, have a, maybe have a long-term plan about it, five, five, 10 years, 15 years' time. Because if you're 20 and you go, okay, where do, where, where do I see myself in, at, at 30? Or where do I see, see myself at 35? Or where do I see myself at 40? I guess I never really thought. I never thought. I never really thought to come to forty-five this year. I never really thought till forty-five. But I kind of like, kind of knew in my thirties I wanted to try and you know do a business or something and give it a crack. So having said that, I actually need to write new goals for when I turn <laughs> forty-five, fifty. <laughs> Can you write? Are you writing these down? These notes. I'm gonna gonna start. I'm gonna start a dog Instagram account for Ollie. I'm gonna <laughs> gotta write my goals down. <laughs> Next steps in life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, you know. I've always really been curious, is it more important to work in a lot of great restaurants for like three months stints? Or is it more important to stay in one place for at least a year? I think you gotta do a bit of both. I think if you can travel throughout, say the you know, in a different country and do stages, I think they're really great. But it depends on what type of restaurant it is, because some of those might not they won't let you see much. But it's good to f- experience it. Um I think long term, but it depends on your career. It depends where you are in your career. If you're starting, if you're starting to head up into the, look, going around and spending a year in each is not a bad idea, or even maybe two years. But it just depends on how you progress within that team. So if you're up, if you're coming up to like a chef to party or sorry to a sous chef level, you're going to be a bit more calculated in where you move around and how you move around because those spots are very hard to come by. Back in the day, when, when I mean, there's still, it's still, it still, isn't, still is the same case. You, in, you, in, you inherit those positions because if the head chef leaves, who do, they, who, do you norm, who do you, if the, who do you normally ask the sous chef? Because they don't, they don't, they don't know how to run the show. And if they're good enough and they've, they've got all the, all they tick all the boxes, then they, they get promoted. That's how, that's how I've, that's how I've gotten positions. All my, all my head chef positions have been inherited. Um, in that sense, so you kind of have to, so, and I was patient. Sometimes you have to wait a year or two years or even three years until that person you like, you know, you go. Can he? Can he finally? Can they finally leave? <laughs> Not her, they finally leave. <laughs> and they leave. You go. Yes. <laughs> it's mine now. It's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's just. I think it's time. Like to. I mean, uh, come back to Australian cuisine. It's the same conversation I was having with someone with the other day. I had a lot of conversations, random conversations, but. <laughs> No, no, it's more because no, because it's actually it makes me realise when you travel the world as a chef, when you go to like say Italy or France or London or England or anything like that, Malaysia and wherever, Singapore, you're, like they're they're one dimensional cuisines, and it makes you realise how much of a multicultural pot we are with all different cuisines. And I think that you know, no offence, say say no say no offence to say India for example, the food tastes fantastic, but our produce is amazing in you can't beat like our produce is second to none worldwide, like anywhere, anywhere where we're, we're up there. Like it's amazing. Our fruit, our vegetables, our meat, our fish, our cheeses, everything's phenomenal. And you don't realize that until you go to another country. But it is to um, just go and just absorb different um, um, cuisines and cultures because we are such a melting pot. And I thought back in the day when I started my apprenticeship that I needed to go and learn classical French techniques and all this. 
yes, you do need to know some techniques, but because but because it got such an Asian repertoire, that was kind of like that was just French is just one a quarter of it. Yeah. The other is learning other different techniques, say you know um, Chinese or Thai Thai cuisine. You know, learning those flavors. And I think if you got that, if you got a bit of both, then I think your food can really sing because you've got the skill to be able to work the flavors a lot better. So. Yeah, so I think in even you know, yeah, trying trying to do that, you know, learning Italian, learning Spanish, learning French, learning Thai, all those things as a chef. If you if you can become an all rounder, it means you can pretty much then go into any kitchen and, and cook. So, do you have any exciting projects coming up in the next couple of months? Then exciting like pro? No, I just want to want to get some get another get an, another gelati shop open <laughs> before summer. Yeah, because we're coming into it, so that is um something I want to want to do. Maybe pizza. You've been talking about this. Pizza I know. I've been talking about pizza for ages. ages. Maybe maybe pizza and pat pizza and gelati together in the same venue. Ooh. Two two birds, one stone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Do I have any exciting projects? Why are you asking me? I don't know. <laughs> Am I told? I'm trying to think if I told you, <laughs> and, I'm for, and I'm forgetting. <laughs> uh, well, um, it's been really great having you on today for this first episode of Principle of Hospitality. And I really appreciate, you know, you've been a great boss, honestly. Been, been a great boss. I still are a great <laughs> boss. I don't know. <laughs> you are a great, a great boss. boss. Oh, thanks. Oh, great thanks. Boss. Thanks. <laughs> I thought you were resigning or something. <laughs> like just to add, <laughs> just to add a, something else to the end of this podcast. Uh, Surprise. No, but um, it's you know, like I always love talking to you because you always have such a great way of telling stories, and you know, you have a really interesting perspective on life and cooking, and you know, it's just great fun. All comes with maturity, you know. You got to look, got to look at the glass half full all the time. <laughs> well, you know, being optimistic. But no, thank you, thank you for having me. Been been a blast. Been a blast. Been a blast. You forgot that you need to say that word again. Uh, unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I already said unreal. Did I say I said unreal before? No, off, but we off said. The air. But we said. Oh, how many times? Unreal. Because we said in the restaurant that every time you said unreal, we'll do a shot. Yes. No one's getting drunk. I know. Listening well, to this I know. Well, oh, sorry. The podcast was unreal. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Adam, for joining um, all of us today, and we really love talking to you and you know hopefully maybe sometime down the track we'll have you on again. Maybe, maybe, things. maybe when I've got new exciting projects happening. I'll let you know. I'll let you let know. Check, oh, yeah, let I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Anyway, thank you so no. much for tuning in to today's episode of Principle of Hospitality. Please remember to comment, like, and share this with your friends. And I look forward to my next episode with all of you soon. Well, possibly, then. maybe this could be your last. Isn't it like wow. vote? Is it voted? Did you not enjoy it? You not get like? You have to get likes. How many likes do you well, have to get to redo it? All you need to do is share on your Instagram, Adam, and it will go viral, <laughs> won't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, until then, I'll see you at work, Adam. I oh, see ya. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know. But have you seen Mr. Yum Split and Pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. It really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr. Yum Split and Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group 
and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum's Split and Pay is the better way to pay, and it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com.